Amen. All right, if you take your Bible, we'll go to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 5, 6, sorry. Last week I started preaching a message that had two points, and I only got one of them done, which isn't a surprise. So I'm going to preach a second point this morning. The first one I talked about was based on Romans 6, verse number 12. It says, Let not sin, therefore, reign in your moral body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Very powerful little verse there. Um, basically what it's saying is, is that sin wants to rule over you. And it will, unless you make a decision a kingly decision, remember we talked about that, an authoritative decision like a king makes when he makes a proclamation. Let not sin reign. Don't let it reign. Now, where don't you let it reign? In your mortal body. That's why your body is your problem. Amen? Uh, your body gives you all kinds of grief. <laughs> it wants things that it ought not want. It wants to be pampered, it wants to be uh, pleasured, uh, you know, and it causes us a lot of issues. And that's, usually, that's why the Lord tells us in Romans chapter 12 that we're supposed to present our bodies a living sacrifice. If the Lord has your body, he basically has all of you. But if you can't surrender your body, well, then you can try all you want to live spiritually and to make, you know, good mental decisions but your body will always, uh, always win the day. I always say there's three parts to man, your spirit, your soul, your body. Salvation is three parts, even though it's one, just like the three in one, amen? Spirit, that means when you were born again, when you got saved, you were redeemed. But you know what? You still got a, a problem up here. After you got redeemed in your spirit, that means he's there, he's perfectly sealed in you, in your spirit, but you've got this soul. And your soul makes decisions. <laughs> and your soul feels things. And your soul has affections. And those are the things that right now in the present, the Lord wants you to focus on dealing with. So there's salvation of the spirit, there's salvation of the soul, but then there's also salvation of the body on the day of redemption. Now, this old body is not going to be fixed. He's not going to say, now, let's see what we're going to do with that and one day when I meet him again. He's just going to say, that's just irreformable. <laughs> He's going to shed this body, and we're going to get a new glorious body. And that'll be the completion of the salvation process. So you're spiritually born again in the past. He's given you this potential right now to actually judge yourself and deal with your soul. I mean, he wouldn't have had to do that. He could have called you right to heaven. But he's using this time for you to be able to walk by faith, trusting him, and thereby pleasing him, and thereby gaining rewards from him when you meet him at the redemption of the body. So we live in a very interesting time because we can actually have the potential to judge ourselves. A lot of people say, you know, one day when I die, that's when I'll find out if I'm going to heaven or hell. And we'll, we'll see what the judge says. Well, if that were the case, 
then he wouldn't have told you that you're able to judge yourself today. See, your salvation was dealt with when Jesus died on the cross for you. And when you were born again, your spirit was made alive. Sin was dealt with. You know you will never face judgment for sin ever again. It was completely dealt with on the cross of Calvary. So if you trust what he did for you on the cross of Calvary, your sin has been paid for. But you know what? There's another judgment coming. And I always say the big five judgments. I'm not going to go over them. (laughs) The judgment seat of Christ is a believer's judgment. For those that are saved today that have had their sin dealt with, now you know that in your soul you make all kinds of bad decisions today. You do have the presence of sin with you. The penalty of sin has been dealt with. The power of sin has been broken. But the presence of sin will only be removed when our body's going to be redeemed. So you see all the threes in salvation. (laughs) It's all over the place. And so we're in the middle. We're right in this section here in this present time where the Lord has given us this opportunity to make decisions to let not. Let not. Oh, well, I just can't, preacher, because, you know, it's just so hard. He wouldn't ask you to do something that you couldn't do. You can do it. Let not sin reign in your mortal body. You're in this time. I know there's sin within us. We've got problems in our minds. We've got problems in our emotion. Our body wants this. It wants that. It wants to be pampered. It wants to be pleasured. It wants all these things. Yet the Lord says that you can make a decision like a king from a throne to let not sin reign. You can do that. And you need to take that seriously. The Bible says in in chapter 5, Reckon, therefore, yourself indeed dead unto sin. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? But if you're not reckoning the dead, reckoning is an accounting term. It's coming up and adding up the numbers and saying, this is the solution. God says your solution is that you have the power over sin. I broke it on the cross of Calvary. You've got to reckon it so. That means you've got to stop telling yourself, I can't. I can't. Oh, no, it's just too hard. <laughs> I understand. Addictions, <laughs> drugs, uh, smoking, alcohol, they're tough. But can I tell you something? You can. But you can't do it on your own. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. That's how the power of sin is broken, through Christ. Amen? So there's another decision we need to make. The first point is don't let sin reign in your body. The second one is kind of a branch off of that. It goes a little bit deeper. And that is you need to yield your members as instruments of righteousness. Yield your members as instruments of righteousness. And then we're going to talk about what this really means. Verse 13, let's read this. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. Sin shall not have dominion over you. Dominate. 
Sin cannot dominate you. It has been broken. Amen. So we can overcome. So I want to look at some words here. The first one is yield. This is the key to understanding what we're talking about right here. The word yield. This is the key to the Christian life, really. If you want to walk in the, in the, in the, in the um, principles of Scripture, you want to do what God wants you to do, you're not going to do it unless you understand this word. <laughs> this is what this word means. To place beside or to stand beside. Huh? <laughs> what does that mean? I'm going to show you what this means. This has been defined or translated as stand by 13 times in the scripture. So yielding is standing by something. Now yielding, like we saw in our passage, you can yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness, and you can also yield your members as instruments of righteousness. Yielding means stand by. Now let's find out what this means. Like I said in Romans 12, verse 1, it says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies. That word present is the same word for yield. It means to stand by. Okay? So this is important for us to understand. Notice that yielding is all about where you place yourself positionally and practically. That's yielding. Now, a lot of Christians say, well, I'm strong enough. I can handle this. No, listen to me. <laughs> yielding is about where you place yourself. That's what it's about. It's not how smart you are. It's not how strong you think you are. The Bible says yielding is simply where you keep placing yourself or what you stand beside most often. Now this is good. Romans 13, further up in our book, in verse 14 it says this, But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Two things there. I've heard Christians say, Oh, I'm so discouraged. Because if I was a real Christian then I wouldn't need all these standards to keep me from doing wrong. <laughs> it almost makes you want to laugh. Just because you're a Christian does not mean that you are strong enough to stand by sin. In fact, you aren't. There's not a person in this room that will keep putting themselves in positions where you stand by things that will test you and test your resolve and your decisions that you ultimately will not compromise. Yielding is making a decision to stand beside the right thing. That's what yielding is. And I know in order to justify the things we like in our body, the things that make me feel good, the things that relax me, Whatever helps this, I'm now making uh, uh, statements like, I can handle that. Or that doesn't control me. Or you know what? Maybe other people have problems with it, but I don't. But can I tell you something? There's not only let not sin reign in your body, 
But there's also the, the thing of yielding not. Yielding not. And yielding. <laughs> Two sides. <laughs> Amen. Now you can stand near those things that motivate spiritual growth and righteousness. Or you can stand near those things that are against God. <laughs> and I'll tell you something. Whatever you stand near in most of your time and energy is what you ultimately will become. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. <laughs> I mean, you're around filth all the time. You're going to start talking filth, thinking filth. And even being filth. Because you're standing by it. Do you understand that? So I want to get this across to us today. The next word I want us to understand is the word members. What's a member? Well, basically this word members means a limb or a part of the body. Pretty simple. We're talking very practically about the body once again. But we're getting more specific. So we're saying, let not sin reign in your mortal body. But now it says, yield or yield not your members. So either we're yielding not or we're yielding them. <laughs> All right. And we're talking about the specifics of the body, exactly what it is that we're yielding or not yielding. And this is important for us to understand. It's talking about the members of the body. A member of the body is simply a member of the body. <laughs> it has no mortality on its own. My hand is a hand. <laughs> is it doing good or bad right now? It's not doing anything. But I'll tell you when this hand does good or bad. Depending on where I put it. Where I stand it beside. <laughs> where I yield it to. Amen. We're talking about your feet. We're talking about your legs. We're talking about your stomach. <laughs> We're talking about your arms. There's nothing wrong with steak, by the way. <laughs> nothing wrong with your, uh, your arms, your hands, your, your eyes, your ears, your tongue, your nose. Members. All of these things on their own have no morality to them. But all depends where we put them. All depends what we do with them. It all depends our decision of whether we yield or yield not. Amen? God created them to be what they are. That is just a function the way that they are. But when sin came in, also we have this choice. Just like letters in the alphabet. Is the letter A wrong? Which, which letter is wrong? Immoral. There's not one letter that's immoral. They, they're all, they all basically are amoral. They have no morality. It's simply just a letter. But until you start placing them beside each other, all of a sudden they take on a morality. <laughs> and you begin to read that with your eyes. Or how about a music note? <laughs> Hit the C note. Doesn't matter what music you play, whether it's Christian music, whether it's uh, jazz or rap or rock or classical, a C is always a C. But you start putting those notes beside each other in different ways. 
That's when morality comes from it. A lot of people say, especially in Christian music, they say, oh, the lyrics are good. <laughs> Folks, the lyrics are just the lyrics, but the music itself can be moral or immoral based upon how you place those notes beside each other. And I can prove that very simply. I'm not going to do that today. But you know that. You're not that foolish. <laughs> Amen. But people that are trying to justify Christian rock, that's what they're saying. There's no morality within the music. It's just within the words. No, my friend. I used to be in a rock band. We would do several instrumentals. No words. And they were just as immoral as the ones with the words. You understand that? <laughs> All depends how you put that, those notes together. Let's look at another word, instruments. This is an implement or utensil or tool. So now you have a member that really is not good or bad, your hands, but the Bible says they can become instruments. Instruments is different than a member. Now it put them into action. When they get put into action, now they become an instrument. <laughs> Now, the word instrument itself doesn't mean good or bad. You can be an instrument for good or an instrument for bad. But the fact of the matter is, what you need to understand is that all of your members can become an instrument. That's the first thing we need to settle here. And whether they'll be a good instrument or a bad instrument is based on where you put them and how you use them. All right? But they are an instrument. I mean, your eyes, your hands. I mean, you say, oh, no, not me, preacher. I just sit in one spot all day long. No, you don't. You're doing something. <laughs> and you're making a choice about that something. And this is where we as Christians today need to understand the passage is telling us there's a decision you need to make every day but what you're going to do with your members. And if we can keep it at that level... <laughs> You could wake up in the morning and say, Lord, help me with my eyes. Help me with my tongue. All my members, Lord, don't let me pick up that filthy thing again. Oh, Lord, help me not to go to those places that I go. Don't let my feet become instruments of unrighteousness. Amen. You can have your feet going to a party. You can have your feet going to that door to give somebody the gospel. They can become an instrument of righteousness or unrighteousness. It's up to you. It's all within your choice. The Lord is not just going to stop you every time. He's going to let you choose that. And he gives you that command to yield not or to yield to. The tongue can be yielded as an instrument of unrighteousness if it stands next to a bitter, sinful heart. Do you understand that? So you got to be careful that your tongue isn't next to a sinful, bitter heart. Now, number one, your sinful, bitter heart could be dealt with and you could have a pure heart. But then you could be standing next to someone else that has a sinful, bitter heart. And it's amazing how quickly that sinful, bitter heart influences you where now your tongue is being influenced by where you're standing beside you're yielding to it. Well, I'm just trying to be their friend. <laughs> really? You're not going to reach people in the darkness with darkness. You have to stand in the light. 
A lot of people say, oh no, we've got to bring rock music in to reach the young people. <laughs> well, so you're going to bring darkness in to reach the darkness and the young people? No, sir, we stand in the light. We use the light. And we don't leave the room of light for the room of darkness. Oh, if you love me, you'll come and get me here. I said, no. <laughs> There's an opportunity for you to be saved out of this. And I'm calling to you. Come into the light. Amen? That's what we need to be today. Many young people face this, especially in the school system, and they're always brought into situations like, oh, I'm invited to a party, I'm here, there, you know, birthday parties. And, and these aren't necessarily always wrong. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you something. Wherever that child goes, they are standing beside something. And you as a parent are responsible for where they're standing beside. And we're wondering, where did I lose those children? <laughs> well, they were probably just standing beside things that they ought not have been standing beside. Because we were just being oblivious to the dangers. Amen. The Bible says the tongue is a fire. A world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it's set on fire of hell. For every kind of beasts and of birds and of serpents and things in the sea is tamed, and hath been tamed of mankind, but the tongue can no man tame. It is unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Therewith we bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. In the church, oh, I love God. We get home, we're cutting up everybody in church. So you bless God, but then when you go home, you, you cut up the ones that are made after God. That's how evil your tongue is. Well, that's just normal. No. <laughs> normal for sin, yes. But not normal for God's holiness and righteousness. Doth a fountain said, send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? <laughs> Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either of vine, figs, so can no fountain both yield salt, water, and fresh. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. Where's your tongue beside? Heavenly wisdom? Earthly wisdom? Well, you know, those people... <laughs> oh, and you may be right, but you should shut your mouth and deal with your heart and get your heart beside the things of God so that your tongue can bring forth that is sweet, not that which is bitter. Amen? Your tongue is probably the worst member of your body. So one that cannot be tamed. It has to be by the right source for it to produce anything good. <laughs> Everyone in here, I don't care how spiritual you think you are, you are battling with that tongue. Yield not as an instrument of unrighteousness, but yield it as an instrument of righteousness. And it all depends on where that tongue is set beside. Whether it's here, whether it's a person you're having coffee with, whatever your tongue is going to pick it up because there's an unruly evil 
Amen. <coughs> Proverbs 4.24 says, Put away from thee a froward mouth, and perverse lips put far from thee. Amen. Froward is harsh. Perverse is twisted words. Your eyes can be yielded as an instrument of unrighteousness if you stand beside pornographic material or shows you shouldn't watch or videos online or whatever it is or Facebook or I don't care what it is, but you've got to make up your mind whether you're going to set your eyes beside those things or not. Psalm 101, David said, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. See, he had a, a heart first where he says, I hate the things that they're doing. And therefore, I will not set it before me. So you can't just say, I'm not going to set it before me. You've got to ask yourself, what do you think about what they're doing? Is it wicked? Is it evil? Is it unrighteous? Is it something that goes against God? You need to make up your mind here. Because if you don't make up your mind about what this is, you'll find yourself setting yourself beside it. Or I can handle it. Job knew this. Job was a perfect and upright man. He was a man of integrity. You know what he said? I made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I think upon a maid? He had a wife. And he says, you know what? I made a covenant with my eyes that they belong to my wife alone. Why should I think upon a maid? So he knew that his eyes were connected to his thinker. And he needed to make a covenant with his eyes to keep his thinking right. You understand that? <laughs> yield or yield not? What are you going to set your eyes beside? Well, what, what is it you're going to uh, make the priority for your eyes? Every married man here ought to already make a decision that I have made a covenant with mine eyes. I don't need to watch that stuff. I don't need to give my attention to those things. Amen? Because I know it affects the way I think. Proverbs 4.25 says, Let thine eyes look right on, and let thine eyelids look straight before thee. That's kind of like make no provision for the flesh. <laughs> In the Old Testament. If you struggle with phones, deal with it. Well, I just can't overcome this. I got this phone. Well, then throw the phone away. <gasps> Isn't it connected to my heart? If it disappears, my heart's going to blow up? No. You can actually not have a phone and live. <laughs> you might even be happier. <laughs> what you need to do is make no provision for that flesh. And so whatever that means, if you've got a problem with your phones, and you've got a problem with that smartphone thing and all those apps and the social media, you know what? You can get flip phones still. They charge more for them for some reason. I don't know why. But you know what? You get a flip phone and you don't have to worry about any of that anymore. And people can still call you. Uh, but that isn't the same. <laughs> what do you want? <laughs> what do you want? Yield or yield not. TV, internet, romance novels. Well, the romance novels are not pornography. What do they do to your thinking? Does it change the way you think about your husband? 
Now, do you have expectations from your husband because you read the novels? Now, is he failing you all the time because of all these novels, what they say, from some made-up author that made up these stories? I could write a story, too, and it could be exactly what I want it to be. That's not life. What are you setting your heart on? What's before your eyes? Amen? (coughs) So books can be a problem. TV, internet, phones, friends, places, co-workers. I mean, you just name it. Everything in your life has potential to contribute to you having your instruments as instruments of righteousness or your members as instruments of unrighteousness. You can say, preacher, don't be such an old fuddy-duddy. Well, I am who I am. (laughs) And the fact of the matter is this, you will answer to God. I'll answer for whether I told you or not. (laughs) You'll answer for whether you listen. Amen? Amen? Your feet and legs can be yielded as instruments of righteousness or unrighteousness. Proverbs 4, it says, When thou goest, thy steps shall not be straightened. And when thou runnest, thou shalt not stumble. Take fast hold of instruction. Let her not go. Keep her, for she is thy life. Enter not into the path of the wicked and go not in the way of evil men. All the way in the Old Testament is telling you to be careful where your feet go. (laughs) And yet we still don't get it. The Lord comes in Romans 6, Yield not your members as instruments of unrighteousness. Just like Solomon said, just like David preached, just like they all preached Job way back in the beginning. It's not a new, a new message. Yeah. Yeah. We just need it preached again. Amen. Proverbs 4.26 says, Ponder the path of thy feet and let all thy ways be established. Turn not to the right hand nor to the left. Remove thy foot from evil. Make no provision. Someone entices you to go somewhere with the boys or with the girls and you know that there's things there that do not honor God. Whether they call it hunting, fishing, ladies' night out, men's night out, I don't care what it is, you need to know what's going to happen there. Well, we just thought we'd bring some beers. You got to know that before you go. Because I can't tell you how many times people who did not drink started drinking because they went somewhere where it was available and they stood beside it. And if they just wouldn't have been there, that's yielding and yielding not. So why should I concern myself with yielding my members as instruments unto God? Well, I think the first thing is because God deserves all of you. Every part of your life, God deserves it. God deserves where your hands are, your feet, your eyes, your ears. It says, neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. He saved you. He took you out of death and put you into life, and you owe him everything, and he deserves everything from you. That's where you start. That's the beginning starting line. How about because we have the grace to become instruments of God? 
says in verse 14, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. You know what it was like under the law? All they did was judge what you did. <laughs> don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. And that's what they say Christianity is today. But that's not what it is. Christianity is grace. Now, what is grace? Where I can do that? No. Grace is where you have the ability to not do that. Grace is far more stringent than the law. Because you can be far better with grace than you ever could with the law. The grace is the new engine that God's given you. You know, that Hemi engine, Sam. Amen? He put that inside of you, and now that thing is what is energizing your life. Before, it was just you. But now, under grace, you have the grace of God every day to wake up and say, Lord, I can do your will. I can do exactly what you've asked me to do. I've got the power to do it, and that power is from heaven. That's why you should concern yourself with this decision. How about because you'll become a servant to whom you yield to? In verse 15, it says, What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. So you can't think this, just because you're a Christian, that if you choose to sin in your life, that somehow you're not going to pay a consequence. That sin will rule over you. I warn young people all the time, young men, young ladies, keep yourself pure. It's not normal for you to be impure before marriage. It's normal for you to keep that purity. Now, if you've messed that up and you get it right before God. But the fact of the matter is, keep yourself right. And that, that's not just talking about the physical intimacy part. It's talking about what you see with your eyes. You know how much those things will impact your future marriage? Oh, no, young people, they don't care. They talk about this and, oh, one day I'll get married, right? Do you understand how you're impacting your future marriage by the things you're doing right now? Don't think for a second that your sin will not rule over you. In fact, sometimes people get married just because they did sin before. <laughs> they think marriage is a fixer of sin. <laughs> it's not. It's only one thing that fixes sin, and that's getting on your knees before God, confessing and cleansing. Amen. Marriage won't bring that. All you're going to do is keep operating outside the boundaries. Whether it's outside of marriage or inside the marriage, you're still going to be outside the boundaries. Just now, people will think I'm better than I am. <laughs> Sorry, that doesn't work. Amen. Sin has a price. You start drinking whiskey, and folks, don't listen to me. Whiskey a day keeps the doctor away. No, it doesn't. Any doctor I've ever talked to, whenever you've got a sickness or whatever, they say, stop drinking. Because it's hurting you. It's not medicine. Oh, it used to be easy for... Well, you don't need it for medicine today. Don't do it. Keep that drink away from you. If you stand by that drink one day, that drink will control you. And take it from someone that grew up in a home like that. Nobody ever once woke up and said, I want to become an alcoholic. 
I want to lose all my money. I want everything to be taken away from me. I want to destroy all my relationships. Not one of them said that, but slowly sin, as they submitted to it, began to take. It's the way it is. You become servant to whom you yield to. Let me go on quickly here. You remember the example of the prodigal son? He thought, too, I got lots of money. I'm going to go and have a good time. Oh, you know, there's some cultures out there that say there's a time you can go sow your wild oats. Ever heard that phrase? I don't believe that. My children have no permission to sow wild oats. Never. Because I know the moment that oat hits the ground, it starts to grow. And I don't want for my kids that two years down the road, they're still reaping the crop of sowing wild oats. Because mom and dad said it was okay because you need to experiment before you get married. You shouldn't be a parent. Stop it. It's wicked. Protect them with your life. Give no permission for sin ever, ever. Amen. He that troubled his own house shall inherit the wind, and the fool shall be servant to the wise of heart. You'll never be in control of your life. Whatever you think you're going to get out of this foolish behavior, the Bible says you're going to inherit the wind. You can't even see it's going to come in and out. (laughs) Nothing there. Nothing there. Whatever the devil's promising you, it's not true. Only the Lord is true. Amen. Follow his ways. Um, Next one is you will have a powerful testimony to the world. The Apostle Paul wrote in verse 17, says, But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which delivered you. He knew these Roman people had never been there, but he had already heard of their testimony, how that they've given themselves to serve God. So he heard from a distant land what God had done in the hearts of these people. To such an extent, he said, but God be thanked. Why should you concern yourself with the yields and the yield knots? Because you have a powerful testimony. And God can use you. And people can be saved through your testimony. That doesn't mean you pretend like I'm perfect. It doesn't mean like I I pretend I don't have problems. We all have problems. I know that. I remember getting into the ministry thinking, maybe there's somebody that needs my help. The first church I went to is, man, they all need my help. And I looked at myself, I need help. Then I realized the truth is, we all really need a lot of help. No matter what you say. People come, they put on the show, I'm just kind of, yeah, right. You are just like the next guy. Stop pretending. I mean, don't go and blah, <laughs> you're junk, you know. But stop pretending like, like somehow you're exempt. <coughs> you all got problems. And until you admit that, you're not going to get over them. Yeah. Amen. Anybody knows that? <laughs> God be thanked. My next point is why should I bother with the yields and the yields not? Is it that your will, you will produce fruit unto holiness? I like this passage in verse 21. What fruit had ye then 
And those things whereof you are now ashamed. For the end of those things is death. I sure hope you're not these people that you look back at your past like, oh, oh, I missed that. Oh, I missed that. Oh, I just missed the way it used to be. I used to be in a rock band. All kinds of things happen. I don't look back at all and say, I missed that. In fact, when my mind goes back there, it's exactly what he says. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? People come to me, oh, you're in a rock band? So what you smiling about? It's a shame. It's a shame. I, I say it just to show you what God has done. And that's as far as it's going to go. That's a testimony. That's a contrast. Don't glory in your past. Don't ever look back. Oh, I wish it. No, 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 no. Folks, if you're saved, you are so better off than you ever have been. You just need to learn what that is. Amen. Fruit unto holiness. Fruit is that which originates or comes from something. It's an effect or a result. So fruit is something that doesn't come from me. It actually comes from something where the origin is. And that's God. So now because I'm saved and I'm connected to the Lord, I can now bear forth fruit of heaven on this earth. I couldn't do that before because it all landed back to that, that the corrupt root of sin. Anything that ever came off my branches had a worm in it. But now as I submit to the Lord and I yield myself as a servant unto God, He works through me and the, the fruit that comes off many times is good. And that's what can happen in all of our lives. That's what can happen in my life if I continue to make decisions to yield myself as my members as instruments unto God. You can have good fruit in your life. You can't look at yourself, oh, I just can't do anything right. It's just because you won't put yourself in the right place. I don't need to go to church. That is your first decision and your first decision that will bring your demise. You need to put yourself there. Well, they think they're better. <laughs> if they think they're better, they're wrong. Because there's not one person in this room that is better than the next. That is stupidity. All there is is you and your God. We preach Christ and Him crucified. <laughs> he is the example. And if me and you stand beside each other and look at Him, the differences between me and you are so minimal that you wouldn't even see the difference. That's how high Christ is. Now, if all you have is your example, is your, oh, look at this guy, that guy. Oh, yeah, you can broaden that measurement scope. But as soon as you bring Christ back into it and the height of that, you're back to... <laughs> and then next week, all of a sudden, you're... <laughs> I always say, folks... Whether you're right with God or not is not based on all the things you're doing and all this. It's based upon what direction you're facing. In this church, everybody in this room is, is facing one of two ways. You're facing towards the Lord and saying, I'm going that way. Or you're backslidden and you've turned around 
and you're sliding that way. Now, you're not going to get far that way because the Lord's going to go, tish, because he's a good father. <laughs> and his spirit's going to convict you and say, you know, you're a dummy. Don't do that. And you're ultimately, okay, I need to turn around again. Then you're back. <laughs> hey, great. <laughs> We're all facing the same way again. <laughs> Amen. So don't look at the next person. Oh, they think that person that's pretending they're so spiritual might actually be facing the wrong way. So don't judge yourselves among yourselves. The Bible says, for it is not wise. You judge yourself in relation to Christ. That's it. <laughs> Face the right way. Let God do the work in your heart. This self-righteous Phariseeism. <laughs> now I understand Folks, in the house of God, you behave certain ways, you got to be dealt with. That's all there's to it. The Bible says that. I can give you a list of things. But if you can stay away from those things, <laughs> and you can somewhat hold the testimony where you're trying to do right and face the right direction, we're all on the same side here. Amen? You can bring forth fruit unto holiness. And finally, my last point is, why should I think about this? Why should I be concerned about where I put myself, preacher? For the simple fact that he's already given you eternal life. Look at that final verse, verse 23. Many of you know this verse. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, I've had people that said, if... If I teach that salvation is free, then somehow everybody's just going to go live like the devil. It's opposite. When you truly believe what Christ has done for you, which you couldn't do for yourself, you will finally have the motivation to do the right thing. But always trying to sit, do right so you don't go to hell there's going to come a point because you don't know where that line is that you're going to quit on God. I've met many people came from a works-based salvation, works-based religion. They were so, they, they were the honest ones. The honest ones looked at themselves and said, you know what? There's people in our church that say you got to work to go to heaven. And they seem to believe that they're good enough. But this guy looks at himself and says, I know I'm not. And he says, I know I never can be. So he quit. He's the most honest one in the church. You're not good enough to get to heaven. You could never get there by what you do. Your merits will fall short. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every one of us. If it's not a free gift, then every one of us will go to hell. And a gift, my friend, is something that's given without a cause. It isn't because, oh, you've been so good. I'm giving you this gift. Well, that's not a gift. That's a wage. <laughs> you're paying them something for what they did. But a gift is saying, I know you're rotten and you're a stinker. <laughs> but I love you so much, I want to give you this. That's a gift. The Bible says justified freely by his grace. Justified freely means justified without a cause. 
I've been declared righteous without a cause. <laughs> he says, I'm going to declare you righteous, not on anything you've ever done, because you're really a loser. But I'm declaring you righteous because of what my son did for you. Free gift. And I'll tell you something, when that actually grips your heart, and you can get that works-based religion out of your brain, you can finally be a good Christian. Because you're no longer doing it to buy something that Christ already paid for. You're doing it out of love and gratitude for everything he's done for you. That, my friend, is exactly what he planned the Christian life to become. (laughs) That by love, we serve one another. By love, not by fear. I'm scared if I don't do this, I'm going to hell. No, no. I love him so much because the gift he gave me, (laughs) I'm going to serve the Lord with my life. That, my friend, is good doctrine. Good, solid doctrine.